In this talk with you this evening, I would like to speak about being and touch upon various uh, aspects of this, which we might describe as being one of the features of our being here. Just before coming downstairs, I was just looking through the, what is in fact the fire exit of my room um, upstairs above here, and perched in the eaves of the, just beneath the roof, is a, a bird's nest, it's a house martins, and sitting perched on the edge of this nest are three young babies with their beaks hanging over the edge of the nest waiting for the parents to bring a, a regular supply of uh, food to these youngsters. And I was re reminded of one of the very beautiful things of nature and of these birds, the house martins, of which there are of course, numbers here and um, in Europe too, in the summer months. One of the things which is not often known with regard to them is that during the winter months they travel, they travel enormous distances. And from Europe they generally travel uh, across southern Europe through the Mediterranean and down into Africa, right down to the southern parts of Africa where they um, spend their holidays during the winter months. <laughs> and then, having had a, a welcome break from uh, the European summer, they fly back to the summer, to during the May, early June period. And the remarkable thing is, they frequently come back to the same spot. And one wonders in the this to me seems always rather awesome that these birds can travel thousands upon thousands of miles in one direction, spend months there, and then return and travel thousands of miles back to the very spot where they departed from. And sometimes in our involvements in the world, in our self-preoccupations and all of that, we we lose sight of some of the inexplicables of nature, the, the miraculous events of, of the world that we live in. <coughs> and I was thinking too, especially for those of you who are on a retreat for the first time and who've never been in a process like this, and what it must be like for you in the first few days of all this sitting and walking and watching and wondering what the hell one is doing here. And it might surprise you, it might come as a great shock to you that there are quite a few people here in this hall and elsewhere who actually love this practice. It's <laughs> <laughs> And in spite of everything, over the weeks, the months, the years, they've not only been prepared to come and spend the nine 
nine days here participating, but have been willing to come and sit a, a three-month retreat in the autumn months, or have gone elsewhere and have sat sev several months, and living day in and day out in this kind of timetable. And so when one's come into a situation like this, sometimes the contrast from doing to being can, seems, can seem to be so staggering in the leap, in the step that one's been asked to make, that one wonders how anybody could possibly want to do this a minute longer than what one has made the decision to do. And it's quite wonderful in a way, in its own kind of way, the spiritual path, we might call it, or the spiritual journey, that in spite of all the difficulties, the pains and the confusions and upsets, that people do, in their own way, love the work at hand. Love the task, the very challenging of, of facing what's happening. And one of the, the, the features of this, because we're constantly trying to, shall we say, strike a middle way, the, the middle ground in this, that in some traditions and in some approaches to the spiritual life, one is in a way, being asked to sometimes surrender and surrender totally. We hear this word, uh, surrender, quite frequently. And so, sometimes the invitation to us has been to um, sacrifice and give up everything and commit ourselves over to somebody, to a leader or whatever it might be. And that's to me, that in a way represents kind of one polarity, in a way one extreme of spiritual life. And then sometimes there's a, a kind of comparative reaction to that, and as it were, the switching over to the other extreme. And the other extreme is, as it were, do away with all of that. You have to work it out for yourself. You have to do it all yourself. You have to find your own liberation or whatever it might be. And it seems to me that both of them, in a way, represent two poles, two poles of extreme. And if we take up a view in life, in spiritual life, that somehow or other um, someone else is going to reveal it all, somebody else is going to do it all for me, and all I have to do is to surrender to that person. I think one is basically barking up the wrong tree. And if one is at the other extreme is that um, I don't need anybody, I don't need anything, I don't need anything, whatever, that's also barking up another wrong tree. And I wonder whether what we can, in a way, avoid these two extremes and rather look that the way of being in the world from some middle ground, which says, I think it acknowledges in some way, somebody else can't do it for me, and I can't do it all by myself.
This, in a way, is, is a work I think reflects a certain kind of interconnectedness, which I think is paramount in being, in being in this world. One of the other things which I think is valuable and in here in coming into situations like this is I've been wondering, I've been wondering a little bit today, how in what is taking place here, what kind of view, what kind of sense, what kind of feeling do we have about being here? And what, what, what I mean by this, and I think the distinction is valuable to pick up on. Often, in our daily life situation, when you and I think about it, we I think, we generally think in terms of what we're doing. Many of you report in the small groups, in the one-to-one, -one, um, about, say, arriving, perhaps feeling somewhat tired or somewhat exhausted. And the relationship to, be, to that is what I have been doing over the previous days. And when we think about ourselves, when we talk with others, generally the doing mode predominates. And then we come into a situation like this, and the dominant factor of this doing mode then comes into being here. And so I was wondering today, in your sittings and in the walkings, would you say when you think about it or when you view it, does it seem like to you that you're doing something? <coughs> does it that, that feel like that in some way, that you're doing something? And it might, might do, so if one can pick up on that one is doing something. Now what happens is, if this, I, often, um, from talking with people and um, listening and so forth, Quite often, if we are carrying the thought, I am doing this, I've got to go and do the sitting now, I've got to go and do the walking, I uh, should be cutting the vegetables and doing that, whatever it might be. If we keep carrying the doing mode, which neglects something, I'm calling being, and I'll touch on that in a moment, if we carry this doing mode with us, I think there's going to be some repercussions psychologically, inwardly, because of all this damn doing. And one of the doing modes, that when we keep doing something, what I think you and I frequently experience is irritation at some point. Can you, th if I, I can't personally, you may much whatever but <laughs> but I can't think of anything in my life where if I have been doing and doing doing I don't keep reaching points where I'm beginning to feel quite restless agitated uncomfortable and especially doubtful about what I'm doing if I keep doing something I'm the feeling I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this at some point along, in all of this doing, one begins to get fed up with this doing. And one wants a breather from it. 
And this we called summer holidays. <laughs> so what happens is when someone comes into a situation like this and the same pattern is still at work, it's not going to be surprising that at some point, it might be the first retreat, it might be the second retreat, it might be the third umpteenth retreat, but at some point one is going to be saying to oneself, and it's a good question, what am I doing this for? <laughs> and one may be neglecting that the thought has just been re... one's got into a pattern of the way you think about it as a doing world. And it's not easy, as I mentioned, to pick up with ourselves and to be receptive to it, much, not so much as a doing mode, but as a being mode. And I'm not saying all peace and harmony comes out of a being mode, but sometimes the being mode is almost forgotten. And then we get into, you know, we forget, in a way, who we are, and we become human having up running afters and human grabbings and human possessiveness and human wantings and human doings and we think, hey, what about human being? What about, where's human being? So in human being, it's a certain kind of quality, a certain kind of being with and that change, and it's a feeling change, it's a, it's a, I think it's tangible, that change is an imperative in, in being here. And, I think, and, and to some degree, it helps safeguard us, in a way, from some resistances which come when we keep thinking of it as a doing something and particularly when the doing something consciously or unconsciously has some definable or indefinable result at the end. You know, if, 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 if you've just come here, you've just been here for a few days and you're, and in, you're engaged here and you've got some aim, some specific object which I want from this, you could be possibly setting yourself up for feelings of success or feelings of failure. Because of the way that you are looking at being here. So we uh, some of our surrender, let us say, which is appropriate and necessary, is surrendering of the old, surrendering of what might be, surrendering of doing, experiencing being. In situations such as here and, and being here. Lots of things which stand out for us in our experience here can seem to be even worse 
than what they usually are. Things sometimes in our daily life seem bad enough in terms of what we're involved in and, uh, and doing. And when we are actually here, things really can seem m more intensely worse. And one wonders what on earth is going on inside. The pain seems worse, the mind seems even crazier than it normally does. And one thinks, you know, I haven't come here just to be more crazy than I usually am. I'm supposed to be getting better, not worse. <laughs> and this, these feelings about am I going crazy or have I already gone crazy and I've just realised it, you know, <laughs> can be terribly disconcerting when one's got all the images of how it ought to be now that I've been here three or four days. And this, these views and feelings about ourselves sometimes is such that in healing processes, in organic, natural healing processes, and this is one of them, sometimes things do, experientially, seem to get worse before they get better. It's like, in a way, that one is almost taking a... Um, to use an analogy, a physical analogy, taking a, a, a medicine, and it's in the medicine of mindfulness and being and seeing what happened, and in that, much can start going on inside because one is basically al allowing, one isn't filling up one's existence in a way to stop that allowing taking place. So in that, it might seem to you that every sitting and every walking and the whole day is one incredible confusion. And I would say, with regard to that, if you're experiencing that, if it gets a bit too much, whatever, sometimes you, you, we, if we get, uh, a bit too, we get a bit too concerned about what's happening around us, and sometimes there's some pressure inside, some emotion is inside. If it needs to be released in here, sometimes it's laughter, sometimes it's crying, sometimes it's bouncing, or whatever it might be. <laughs> and sometimes it's climbing up the wall, and we've seen all of those. <laughs> that, if that's what's happening, it really is okay for, its, for it to be happening. And in that meaning that it's okay, when sometimes something like that is occurring, it's an incredible encouragement that keeps everybody else really here and now. So sometimes if there is some tension or release, whatever, one is also doing an enormous favour <laughs> to all of us to watch our mind and see our attachment to silence and... Uh, <laughs> And, um, but also, seriously, it often brings feelings and emotions, also a lot of empathy and love is also generated. So, in spite, if you haven't been here before, in spite of the encouragements for silences and stillnesses and all those things, it's not an sacred cow. It's not an absolute, in any way, in terms of the meditation room, if there is pressure, if there is feelings to be released. One of the other things which, which occurs in, amidst the silences, and, and I think this is 
in connection with being and, and doing in a somewhat different way is that sometimes people in various ways in small groups or passing each other through the doors or the queuing for the food or at the meal tables work whatever it might be that sometimes contact is made and because things begin to stand out more noticeably and distinctly you know I say eye contact whatever in the silence of of things what obviously we see in somebody else is initially the basic physical form and given the fact that there's a variety of men and women in the situation and here together and all look pretty healthy so it's not surprising that biologically there is attractions going on around the room you know if it didn't happen I think I'd be extremely worried and so at times this contact eye contact seeing the physical form of uh, another man another woman or if there's any other kind of beings here but primarily these <laughs> so yes so and this contact gets made so sometimes it has with it a sexual feeling sexual uh, uh, component to that and so sometimes as people report and say and sometimes when one experiences that attraction or that component one starts getting on one's case not on the other person's on one's own case not, and in a way which says one starts saying, well, I shouldn't be like this, I should be pure, I should be clear, I should be letting go of all of this, I should, I should, I should, I should, I should. The actuality is that one is experiencing feelings of attraction, feelings of interest, feelings of wonder, so forth. And that comes, I think, that comes out of one's being. I, don't, I think it's quite n normal. And I always remember... Uh, when I was a, a monk that um, there was an old monk there he was old, very firm, upright and he was old, he was 93 years old and I uh, so we were talking I, I didn't uh, speak to her, someone was translating and I said to this old monk I said, you're 93 years old I said, you can't say that you've got much future to look forward to <laughs> and um, so I said, but you know, and you're doing all this practice all of these years and sitting and walking and being in touch and so forth. So I said, you know, when your mind wanders, I said, this is what interests me. I said, when your mind wanders, where does it wander to? And what's it go to? Because there's not much future. What's it, what's it go to? You see? And as I must say, in the tradition, in uh, Buddhist tradition and um, um, monasteries, there's a lot of uh, really good humour and uh, kind of sp spaciousness to, you know, probe into what's going on inside of somebody else. And some of us are still doing it anyway. So I said, what's, go what's, what's going on inside of you when you when you you forget your breathing or you forget your walking? I said, what do you think about? He said, sex. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So I thought this is a remarkably healthy human being. <laughs> so in, in, when this happens, sometimes we start, as I say, getting on our case. And then we start getting a certain intensity about ourselves. And, and, and I think these areas of life and normal life, human life, physical life, that the attitude of mind is important here. The attitude of mind be of these kind of areas where there's often a lot of difficulty about spirituality and sexuality and the integration of the two to treat these images, these uh, perceptions, these interests, so we say, lightly. That's all. Just to treat them lightly. Be human. And, and that, I think, belongs to being. It's when sometimes we... if. It's, we know it's inappropriate to start doing something about it. Start putting pressure on, start trying to attract somebody's interest, in, and we know it's inappropriate. So I think these experiences can genuinely belong to being. It's when we start engaging in a doing which is, we know is not the right time, right place, right situation, or whatever it might be. And in that, that's the consideration. And, and to treat our inner um, experiences uh, um, fluidly, light, lightly, not to get too much on our case with these. And rather similarly in our be, being here, that to, I think one of, the, one of the things which some people feel here, that it's like being in this room is, as it were, the hot spot this is where the real action or the real non-action takes place. <laughs> and everything else outside of here is a kind of relief. <laughs> and, and so each time the bell goes to be in here, it's the, oh my God, if there is one, oh my God, I mean, not another sitting. One doesn't say, oh no, not another breakfast. You know. <laughs> <laughs> So there are certain kind of images and residue which takes place in here, which gets carried over. And one of the ways that we notice this with uh, an alarming frequency is the way that we develop the capacity, one of the, probably the major developments of the retreat, is the capacity to leave it to the last minute to be in here. And... In that, we don't want to come late. Teachers don't mind, they get away with anything. But, but one doesn't want to come in late because what will other people think? But one doesn't want to come in early because it's going to mean being in here longer than anybody else. <laughs> so, again, catching our mind to see what's the image, what's the holding, what's the way of viewing about being in here and how that affects us because there are many other situations in life which we enter into where we carry resistance where we carry traces of the old where we carry images they have enough power over us they prevent us from being and seeing because they're carried in it's like a package like a weight and we carry it in 
So we want to be checking with ourselves as early as possible whether, we, when the sitting finishes, are we carrying when we leave here? Can we travel in here as lightly as we can travel when we get out of here? Can we approach both equally? As I said, as I said for some of you, there are some people, for those of you who just come, some people who love being in here and who spend considerable more number of hours more than what the timetable requires. And some people feel that uh, would have a way of just sitting and just being and all that's implied in that. And for some, the difficulties are not in here at all, but the difficulties are elsewhere. And we want to be in touch with ourselves, we want to be in touch with the... the uh, and be, and be clear as we proceed. And so our willingness to stop in any moment and see where there's some tension around having to do or doing and catching that, because the build-up of that brings stress in life. I don't think build stress comes out of being. I think stress and tension in life comes out of doing and doing and resistance with doing. So, for example, that varies from one person to another. One of the most common forms of the build-up of stress through doing would be when you are going to meet with uh, Henrietta or Eric or I with regard sometimes to a one-to-one -one or sometimes in a small group meetings. And so some people actually having to go and talk about what one is experiencing creates a lot of agitation, a lot of uh, worry, and one can't sit all day because one's got to go and do this. And even worse is sometimes for people, when you're in the room and someone else like, is being interrogated by me, like, you know, like their life's on the line and I'm pressing them for information or whatever, and one is going from one to another, and one knows at some point my turn's going to come. And, what, and what, I've got nothing to say, I've got nothing worth saying, nothing's happened, what, something's got to have happened. <laughs> whatever, what can I say? You know, and all this is going on inside of, the, uh, inside of the person. And those moments in which some fear, some pressure, some anxiety, some worry, some build-up of stress is, is occurring. Can we let it drop away? Can we just sit, just be, just trust, just allow, and when it comes to one's turn to talk or to be for an interview, so I call it an interview on something, can one just say, okay, keeping in that spirit of here and now and just letting go those feelings, those thoughts, those worries and just being. So, work for freedom, for wisdom, for understanding, for peace, for liberation really is very much included in the times and in the places which feel and being experienced as difficult in some way or other. Sometimes for another person, this um, is, around, is around the food. 
So, for one person, the highlights of the day, the, 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 the Maslow's peak experiences are at 7.15, 12.30, 5.30 and 9.30. And everything else is basically hanging around for these peak experiences. <laughs> but for others, these times are very agitated and worrying times. And so it, it can show itself in some people, as we report. It's in the queuing for food and the getting of the receiving of the food. And it shows, it shows itself in fear and worry. Sometimes is, will there be enough left for me? And one is afraid to be at the end of the queue in case it's all gone. It's no, it's very rarely anyway, I don't think any historical record of it all being exhausted. <laughs> but there's always this terrible fear that it would be the first time and it would be the day I come late. <laughs> so this is anxiety provoking, how it might be for me. And sometimes the other is on having received the food and taken the food and have eaten the food, there can be terrible conflicts and very, very painful, and many of you know, about whether or not to eat more. And when it's sitting there, you know, with one's fork shaking with nerves <laughs> about having to make this momentous decision of one's life, whether or not to actually go up there, and tremendous commotion can be going, what will other people think? This is one of the major ones. If, if I go and take some more food, am I being just greedy and selfish? Will it put me to sleep in the afternoon? If I don't eat enough food, maybe it won't be enough at tea time and I've got to wait till tomorrow morning for s something substantial. It's all going on and on and on. And one's back in the meditation room, isn't one? Right there and then, that's where the practice is. That's where it's at. And I don't think the... The important thing is whether one eats a little more or eats a little less or whatever. I don't think that really is the issue. I think much more the issue is the way of being in those times. It certainly can be helpful to leave a little space in the stomach. Certainly helpful to allow the food to digest more easily, to eat carefully and mindfully and so forth. But are we getting involved there in too much? Are we building up in that period of time, either in the queuing for food, in the taking of food, in the eating of food, or in those moments when the plate is clear? I think we could explore that and feel comfortable with eating and enjoy the food and be mindful of other people not so much about what they think of me, but in a supportive way. So that that period of time is meditative. And if you and I can get the sense of that, since you and I eat every day, since we will probably spend far more time in our daily life taking a food than sitting on the zafu, then let's as much as possible make that period of time meditative. I think the impact of eating with care and, uh, and nutritiously is enormous. 
in the way that it affects our well-being in our daily life. I think this area of food and nutrition is very, very important. Now, sometimes what happens with regard to this is that in those times outside of the meal times, one very easily can be waiting for food. Quite often people are creating menus that they're going to eat at home and uh, thinking about what the next meal might be and what, are, what proteins do I need for today and uh, how green will the vegetables be. And, and lots of food imagery can be occurring during the day. It might, might mean lots of things, obviously. One of the things that it could mean is am I being, feeling nourished? And I think sometimes when we feel undernourished, spiritually, emotionally, feelingly, loving, lovingly, sometimes we use the nourishment of food as a material, physical factor to compensate or to replace other feelings of lack of nourishment. So if one is experiencing you know, the menu of producing fantasies about your favourite Thai restaurant or uh, what the next meal might be or how great the last one was and it's a pity it's all going to go down the toilet. That, so all, <laughs> that all, all of these thoughts and feel, feelings, can we with ourselves see what are the other forms of nourishment taking place here? Can we, instead of, as it were, focusing nourishment just on the tongue, which is one form of nourishment, how we are being nourished, how we are nourishing each other and supporting and feeding and sustaining each other collectively through the other senses. Breathing supports us. Breathing sustains our life. Breathing is a form of nourishment, a form of food. Seeing and hearing and all the support that goes with that is yet another form. So if we find ourselves, as it were, limited to one, can we open out and expand out and be receptive to others? All of this allows a more sense of being to be present and less of having to do something to get what I want for me. So in our, our day here, and in the, the totality of, of, the, of the day, in a way our whole life, as a, the microcosm of our life, is being manifest through numerous situations. And it does take a little while, and one has to be patient here with oneself, to be able to see how the, what's being played out in this situation is being played out for us in numerous other situations. It's not like what can go on here can be intrinsically different from anywhere else. It can't be because mind, heart, body, feelings, which are there in the world that you come from, it's the same heart, mind, body, feelings, thoughts, so forth, that are being revealed here. And what the awareness does and the mindfulness does and the meditations is hopefully help that 
help those patterns and thoughts and resistances and interests and beings and doings, helps that to stand out more clearly. The light of awareness and mindfulness makes it stand out to us. And what we do in a way, in this kind of way of approach, is we're saying, we're not trying to force things to happen. We could make it obviously much more intense. We could have much more cathartic exercises. We could put a lot more pressure on people. But I prefer that a way of approach which isn't easy, certainly, a very long and full day, yet, and without too much forcing on, and allowing rather, hopefully naturally, rather organically, for things to emerge and stand out for us. To be that little bit more clear. And lots of situations which are going on here give us a lot of opportunity for some insight, for some clarity, for some awareness of patterns, for seeing things. So when we speak of this, we are always concerned with freedom. Not all, everything, every, hopefully every communication and every activity and every exploration and inquiry is constantly referring and connected with freedom, connected with liberation. And one of the, of the many great aspects of liberation, of free freedom, of being a an emancipated human being is the freedom to see. The freedom to see. The freedom to be. The freedom to look at. The freedom to stop. The freedom to explore. This is a wonderful human freedom. It's a beautiful freedom that we, that we have. We often forget it. We often overlook it. We often make it some object to attain to. But I think the key is in our willingness to look, in our willingness to be aware, our willingness to feel what's happening, our willingness to stay in touch with. I think that this is, all this is the child of freedom. All this is, is freedom made manifest. Not freedom liberation as some lovely goal way down the line, I think it's something that's much more immediate and accessible for us. Liberation is something right now for us, not, not somewhere along the way. So let's explore. Let's, let's, let's in our, with our being, uh, include the totality of the, of the day. Let's, let's see where we get caught. Let's see where the holding and the attachments are. Let's see where the fears are. Let's see where the difficulty is. Let's, let's stay with those hot spots, whether it's in a small group meeting upstairs or one-to-one, -one, whether it's in here, whether it's in the work activity, whether it's in the meal times, whatever it might be. And in, the, in this way we, we give uh, acknowledgement to being. We give acknowledgement to being in the world. We give acknowledgement to human being. May all beings see into things.
May all beings see into life. May all beings be free to see. So let's have a couple of minutes of quiet purge. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.